A lot of times when you're starting out, it's not the most lucrative job, as you probably know, but it is probably the most rewarding job I think I could have. The fact that you can change lives with the game of golf and you need to pursue that. Like this is pretty much your calling and you're gonna make a really big difference. So believe in yourself, have confidence and go after it as much as you can because that's where I find myself now. I have no regrets about the journey so far and I'm just so excited to be at a young age and know that this career and this golfers growing the game, growing the industry is pretty much what I was meant to do. Someone reached out to me a couple weeks ago just saying, hey, can I get a couple golfers pins? Like, I know you have pins. I'd love to give them to my ladies guests mm -hmm. that are visiting my club and share the story. And the support, that's definitely what keeps me going. And it's just nice to know that people are out there seeing this, reading this, being inspired by it, because that's the whole goal of this. If it's when I'm 60 and retiring, if we can get more women, get to that 50% number in the industry, that would be like, that'd okay, be, that's I amazing. I think we're going to get there. Welcome to season 10 of the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you hear about all of our upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and on this episode, we're going to do something that I've been planning for a while, and that is to have a guest host take over the reins here, steer the ship, and I'm just going to step on back, and we're just going to open this up. I've been in conversation with Dr. Greta Anderson, Dr. Greta Golf, one of our previous guests from the beginning of season nine, and Greta and I have been talking back and forth. It's like, Greta, come on, let's collaborate. Let's do something here. And the best way to collaborate is, hey, why don't we have you on as a guest host and just take it away. So today our guest is Kelly Hunt, who is the founder of Golf Hers. She does lots of other stuff, but I'm not going to tell that story. I'm going to leave that for Dr. Greta Anderson to do that. So Greta and Kelly, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast and take Thank it away. Thank you so much, Colin. I am so excited to be here. As you said, we've been going back and forth and chatting. And so I'm, I am to the moon excited to be here with you and to talk to Kelly because this is not really our first time talking, but we're going to get into it and share a lot of things that we may not have covered in our previous conversation. So first of all, let me say on behalf of my Golf Podcast, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank it's great you. So to be here. I know here. there's so much to talk about. So Colin will pull the ripcord on us if we run out of time or anything like that. But first things, in your own words, tell us and share with us your story, how you got here. I'll, I'll try to shorten it a bit. Complicated how I ended up in the golf industry, but I'm super happy to be here. So my current position is an assistant golf professional at Wellesley Country Club in Massachusetts. I actually spent three years before that, starting in 2018, working at Manchester Country Club in Bedford, New Hampshire. Same thing as a assistant golf professional. But I never planned on going into the golf industry. I attended Seattle University studying communication and media. I did play on the golf team and I did some clinics with the first tee and I ended up working as a counselor at Stanford Golf Camps, which is where I got recruited as a teenager and a junior golfer. I actually was offered a job out in Seattle at a golf course. I had happened to be moving back to New Hampshire that same year after living in California for 13 years, and that kind of got the gears turning. Well, maybe now that I'm back in New Hampshire and I don't have 
you know, anyone I know out here, I'll get a job at a golf course. So I sent a couple emails. And before I knew it, I had a response from the general manager at Manchester saying, you know, small world, I'm also from Seattle. So I just really started as a shop assistant. And by the end of that summer, the first assistant at the time said, have you ever thought about going into the golf industry. And I said, I sure haven't. And he said, well, you should because you're really good at it. So that planted the seed in my head of maybe this is a career that I pursue. And actually that January, we got a new director of golf and he called me up and he said, Kelly, we'd like to hire you as the first assistant. So I said, all right, I will get into the professional golf management program and I will see you in June. So (laughs) that's uh, how I ended up in the golf industry. As I said, I now work at Wellesley Country Club. I just started a few months ago and I absolutely love it. I'm teaching a ton, a ton of clinics, a ton of individual lessons, people of all ages. So it's a really great spot to be. Awesome. So even though you were a golfer, I mean, a pretty good golfer, it sounds like a more than pretty good golfer, it never really crossed your mind <laughs> to go into the industry. No. And that's, that's the funny thing. I felt being a college golfer, it was either go play professional or mm-hmm. go get a normal job. Growing up as a golfer, I never saw any women doing that job or behind the counter teaching lessons on the lesson tee. And all my teachers, who were great, by the way, they were all men. So it just really was never in my mind that this was something that Kelly Hunt could go do. Mm-hmm. Even though Kelly Hunt was an unbelievable golfer. Well, we're so glad your mind was open to it and, and you were introduced to it. So now we know that you're busy teaching and you're doing a ton of great things and loving your clinic and your, and your instruction, your life as an instructor. But we also know that you have another exciting endeavor that goes on with you on a regular basis in golf. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I have a platform called Golf Hurts. It is dedicated to spreading the word, empowering women that work in the golf industry. As you know, as someone in the golf industry, there is not a lot of women who work in these leadership positions. So this platform started to highlight those women, to celebrate those women, and most importantly, connect those women. Because when I started in the golf industry, I knew nobody. Now I have an entire network of amazing women all across the country, Canada, you name it. But when I started, I had no one to reach out to and say, hey, what the heck am I doing? Mm -hmm. I need your help. So that's kind of how that mission started. And it it actually did start in college. Um, It was my my college project uh, in my senior year. So it's been going on for some time and kind of growing and evolving and growing and evolving as your career Mm -hmm. and your life in golf as it continues to evolve. Totally. I did graduate last year in 2020, Mm -hmm. right before the pandemic started. It was just my last quarter of my senior year that I went back for. And as a communication and media major, we have what's called Mm -hmm. our capstone project. And it's basically you create a tangible item that involves communication and media. And my professor was incredible and let us be as creative as we could and said, you know what? You can make this a project that lasts for these next 10 weeks, or you can make a project that you take with you. And obviously, most college students opted for those 10 weeks. But I knew that I had a career in the golf industry and said, why don't I do something that I can take with me? And I remember just scribbling on a little piece of paper, and suddenly that name, Golf Hers, clicked. You just say it, it's just golfers. Unbelievable. And that that was something that always bothered me when I entered the industry is she's the female golfer. She's the female professional. It's like, no, I am the golf professional. I'm the first assistant. I am a golfer. I'm playing with all the men in the New England PGA tournaments. 
So it kind of does embrace the fact that we are women in this industry and that is something special and something that should be celebrated, but it also embraces the fact that at the end of the day, you're judging us by our professionalism, what we've done in our career, how we teach, all, all those things that we'd be judging men by. So that's where the name came from. And I created a plan, website, Instagram, Facebook. How far can we take it from here? And my professor, Chris Paul, was absolutely amazing in just pushing me to the next level with golfers. It's an, it's an amazing platform. Of course, that's you know how we originally spoke. I obviously given it attention, but I was like, wow, she's building something really amazing here because it speaks to, as a woman in, in the golf profession, we're growing in our ranks, but as you said, there are not a whole lot of us just yet. And that camaraderie, even when you know that others are there, it still can be kind of a far reach sometime, right? It's not often that there are many of us at a facility. So usually right now, you know, most of the time there may be you and the guys at the facility and that type of thing. So it really, really matters. Kelly, can you, I'm going to ask you this question. I know that you obviously you speak and you reach out and communicate with tons of women in the profession. Are there any common threads of either struggle or hopefully and directionally optimism that you've noticed in, in these conversations with the women of our industry. Absolutely. If you read back the 30 blogs that are out there in golfers, which obviously want to keep writing them and doing more, doing more interviews, a lot of women share a similar struggle. There's a few of them. I mean, everyone's different. Everyone has their different struggles, but some of the overlapping ones I've seen are time management. So women going into the industry, they're worried about starting a family. Am I going to be able to see my kids? Am I going to be able to see my partner? It's hard. That's kind of a scary part of stepping into the golf industry and working those long hours. Another one that I've seen is becoming pigeonholed into that female pro who manages the ladies. When you never do that to a male professional, you wouldn't pigeonhole them into this one role. A lot of women want to be a much more diversified. They want to teach. They want to run the big tournaments, play professionally. There's so many different interests they have. Maybe they want to work with merchandise more. There's, there's so many different things. It's not just I manage the ladies. So that was definitely a common struggle. And a big barrier that I definitely had to overcome and some other women had to overcome that I talked to was when they become that person, that first assistant, that head professional, and the membership, or if it's a public golf course, the people walking into the shop don't know them, they'll say, hey, is the pro here? Or if they answer the phone, they say, you know, Wellesley Golf Shop, this is Kelly. They'll say, hey, is the pro here? So that's, you have that extra obstacle that you have to say, no, I am the pro. Yes, I can do your grips. Yes, I can give you advice on your club selection. Yes, I can fit you for clubs and by the way, make you a better golfer with a lesson. So it's something that we can laugh at, but it can be a little uncomfortable. It can maybe get you a little down that they just make the assumption. I actually had someone today who was a woman who said, I was in your same position 20 years ago. I used to work here. And I said, oh, hi, I'm Kelly. I'm the new assistant pro. And she said, oh, never mind. I thought you were a shop girl. I laughed about it, but it's that assumption that's in people's mind because they don't see women in those positions. That whole, you know, seeing is believing type thing that goes back to me never seeing women behind the counter or giving lessons. It just became that idea that that's not Correct. a woman's role. Correct. And obviously we know that even the playing cadre, right? The average golfer, you know, historically was a male, right? And so I don't say I don't like the term break barriers, but we're refashioning the industry as I would prefer to kind of phrase it. 
I think that if we work as a group, as a unit, in conjunction with the men that are ready for this change, the ones that I tend to focus on, right? We're seeing that change as a woman in the industry, as an instructor. I think I've probably had all of those things happen. Oh, I thought that you worked here. Or if I'm moving a few carts, oh, I thought maybe you were one of the cart girls. You name it, right? You're everything <laughs> except one of the lead professionals, let alone the director of instruction or anything like that. And that's just kind of one of those things that we kind of work hard to overcome. But it's interesting, and you might agree with this and observe these things. It's so many little things in the industry that we're just kind of having to refashion. I was on the course just last week. And the gentleman that was the marshal, he was giving the directions, you know, as people were heading out. And he said, now, around here, they don't like to call them ladies' tees. And so ever so kindly, I had to remind, like, we don't have ladies' tees. We have forward tees. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 So it's just those little things to help people understand that this sport is for everyone. Our industry, from a professional standpoint, is for everyone. And little by little, we're chipping away at this notion that, A, the ladies are on the sideline and we're all pushing forward in that regard. So kudos to you for what you're doing. So you talked about some of the struggles and I know you've you've been doing golfers for, for what, a couple of years now in that fashion, a year and a half, two years, right? It's been about a year. Yeah. So I graduated okay. last March. So it's it's really been pretty young. It's been, a long it's been about a year. My apologies on uh, my So when I saw it, it was almost like fan mail. Like I wanted to reach out to you and let you know how encouraging what you're doing is for women in the industry. Have you had any encounters of that regard? Or people like, this is awesome. Totally. And it's it's been great because it's obviously been hard, um, especially you know how busy our schedules are to do these interviews and write those blogs. And I, I'll be honest, I would like to be writing more, more often, but it's been, especially the last two months, I started the new job. It just got a little crazy. So I have some interviews in the books and get some blogs out there. But especially when I first started this, the support behind it was immediate and it was just very enthusiastic. I had people sending me DMs on Instagram just saying, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for something like this and reposting my stories, just showing the support. And I mean, the followers came really quickly. And honestly, when I started this, I had no idea if it would be successful. I figured my mom and maybe one friend would read my blogs and the person I wrote the blog about, maybe. But the first blog I wrote had like 200 views and the next one had like 1700. So it was just really cool. Like, oh crap, like people actually care about this as I hope they care as much as I did. But I realized like, wow, yes, you do have an audience and this audience is going to support you. So it just grew and grew. Um, We got the merchandise going to fund the golfer's scholarship. People were right when their shirts came in, they all came at the same time because it was like a a two-week campaign. They are all posting their shirts and supporting golfers and wearing the shirts out. And I actually had someone reach out to me a couple weeks ago just saying, hey, can I get a couple golfers pins? Like, I know you have pins. I'd love to give them to my ladies guests Mm -hmm. that are visiting my club and, and share the story. And I, I sent her like a whole bunch of like pins and stickers. And so she was super excited. But yeah, I mean, the support, that's definitely what keeps me going. And it's just nice to know that people are out there seeing this, reading this, being inspired by it, because that's the whole goal of this. Even when if it's when I'm 60 and retiring, if we can get more women, get to that mm. 50% number in the industry, that would be like, That'd okay, be, that's I amazing. I think we're going to get there. I'm just an optimist like that. We're going to get there. But you hit on something that I definitely wanted to hear more about, and that is yep. the Golf Her Scholarship. 
Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that came into being your vision around that? And then you also mentioned how the merchandise helps support that. So let's fill us all in so we can learn more and then also be a part of it. Yep. So this goes back to being pushed by my professor to keep coming up with new and great things. How far can you take this? What new ideas can we have? Why stop at blogs? I said, all righty, PGM is expensive. LPGA is expensive. Even going to college for professional Mm -hmm. golf management is expensive. Why not take away one of those barriers? Even if it's just for one person, one woman who wants to get into the industry, but that barrier is standing in her way. So that's where I said, all righty, let's fund a scholarship. And that's where the merchandise came about. Obviously, I want people to rep the golfer's logo, but I don't want it to be for my personal gain. So I said, all righty, every penny that we earn is funding a scholarship. So we did a bonfire campaign, which is still being used. So people can actually buy merchandise at any point. And all that money gets put into the scholarship fund. Same thing with the pins, buttons, patches, all all the fun golfers merchandise. That all funds it. So we've raised right now the first scholarship that'll be awarded is $750. So that will pretty much cover right now with virtual seminars with at least the PGA that will that will cover a seminar entirely. And normally those are $2,000 when they're in person. So obviously I would like to get more money to give away as this continues to grow. But I've also had some very generous donations from fellow women in the industry, prior professors, people that are just on Facebook that follow along that have just donated directly, which is really, really cool. So Ray's approaching $1,000 now. So we're starting to fund that second scholarship. So there is now a live application on the golfers website, www.golfers.net. So people just register It sends me an email and then I email them directly the application. And it's open to any woman in the golf industry pursuing that education. So whether it's LPGA, PGA, even if they've already done it and say, hey, you know, I'm paying off a loan or was super expensive, they can absolutely apply too. That's a very big deal. Being a part of the educational process for the LPGA, being an active member there, I know that for many, as you well know, all of us know, education can be inexpensive. It can be that barrier to making that decision on whether to join, to advance, to earn the defining credential within the organization. So that's a big deal. So just on behalf of those who have not yet applied, I'm going to say thank you for that because I know that's a huge deal. It really is. So kudos to you for doing that and thinking of others and just helping to grow the game because we grow the game at so many levels. As you've experienced probably as a teacher of men, women, kids, and everyone in between, seeing is believing, right? When kids see, girls see women teaching, when girls see women leading instruction, not just teaching one clinic, when Mm -hmm. girls see women running the clubhouse and that type of thing, they know that can be so. And, you know, for so many of us, that's just a powerful statement when we get the privilege of being made aware of the fact that we are the one that helped a young person realize that they too could be in these shoes. That's growing the game, just like putting a club in someone's hands, in my humble opinion. So thank you so much for that. So you're busy, probably teaching a ton of hours a week, as all good golf professionals are doing right now, because we are busy. It's boom time. you got the blog going. Are there any other things you're doing right now to grow golfers? Or are you just staying right here right now? 
Yeah, I'd like to get that scholarship out. So I'm also actually part of the New England PGA's Women of the Game Committee, which is new as of this year. So it's made up of fellow female professionals in the New England section. There's 44 of us total in the section, and I believe there's about 14 of us involved in the committee. Mike Packard, who's part of the NAPGA, reached out to me back in December, I believe, to get this started. Mike Higgins joins in, Rob Jarvis, all people that are just super supportive of women's golf in our section. And that's actually how, as you know, it was Women's Golf Day, which was awesome. But the New England PGA also decided to make it Women's Golf Week. So they've been traveling around highlighting different clubs that are hosting events, reposting anything that we post saying, we did our Think Pink tournament yesterday. We had our cocktail party. We did our driver power, Mm -hmm. girl power clinic. So that's the whole week just dedicated to women's golf. So that's something I'm also super involved in. And I'd actually like to go back to you talking about some clinics. This past season, I had the idea to start a mom and daughter clinic. So you talked about the importance of seeing those young girls out there and, and getting them involved and showing them that they can fill these shoes. It's so important to get the moms out there too. When I interviewed Ann Walker from Stanford, she said a statistic that said, if your dad plays golf, so if my dad plays golf, I'm about 20% likely to take up the game. My brothers would be about 50% likely to take up the game, which were an anomaly because I played, they didn't. But if my mom played golf growing up, I would be 80% likely to take up the game and my brothers would be 70% likely to take up the game because mom plays. So we started the mom and daughter clinic on Mother's Day and we're continuing them on Mm. Sunday mornings. We have daughters of all ages. We have granddaughters. We have daughters. Granddaughters are as young as six and daughters that are as old as in their 40s. So it's really cool to see the moms, the grandmothers, and their daughters and granddaughters out there learning a clinic together. So we had we had 14 women total um, on Mother's awesome. Day, and it was it was amazing. And that's that's something that is just going to continue to grow the game and get those girls out there. I think you actually mentioned it in our interview. If we get families out there involved in golf, that's going to be the survival of, of our game and of country clubs. Because you, you said it. You said it's no longer a cost. If dad plays, it's a cost. But if mom plays and the two kids play, it's an investment that's right. That's for the family. It's a place where the family can grow together, stay healthy together, create memories together, laugh, share, make friendships It's just a solid investment. It's like it doesn't make sense to not do it if the family is engaged and involved in the sport. It's it's just so huge. It's so funny that you say that because in my last lesson today, I was just that. I was teaching a mom and a daughter. The daughter, it's funny, she works up the street from our club, but she's 30, right? She's in her 30s. And her mom, she's probably 30, 35 plus, as mom would say, probably, right? The mom initiated it because she said, well, her dad plays and her brother plays. And her brother started playing because her dad started playing when he was a bit younger. But she wanted to create some fun around an activity where the entire family for generations to come could enjoy time together. So they're busy taking their mom-daughter lessons with me and just enjoying it. And now they're joining mom and their dad and their brother out on the course. But that is so true. That numbers is really staggering. I love that statistic, but it's so true. We see it in our day-to-day lives as teaching professionals. When mom plays, it's a game changer for the household. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Totally agree. So that is just amazing. So we've got the clinics going on. We've got the blog and it's about, we're in season. So I'm guessing it's, was it bi-weekly? 
Yeah, so it's it's changed as the time has gone on. When I was in college and that was my final project, I was releasing two blogs a week. I think I interviewed upwards Mm -hmm. of 25 women during those 10 weeks, which was awesome to connect to all of them. As I moved into the golf season, then we had COVID hit, did some interviews then, and then the season started. And as you know, it was the craziest golf season we've seen since like the Tiger Woods era. So it was so much busier Mm -hmm. than we ever could have imagined. I will admit it definitely got pushed to the back burner. Well, I actually revamped the Mm -hmm. entire website during this time, started the Golfer Scholarship Fund, and then created scholarship applications, continued to post on social media. So it's not like I was ghosting everybody. It was more just, you know, take a step back, focus on the game in front of me, and let's take a step back and think about how I can start going forward. So now before this season started, I was doing bi-weekly and I want to keep doing bi-weekly as much as possible. But once again, the season was busier than we thought. And I, as a new person at the golf course, I was teaching a lot more than I ever imagined. So the support has been incredible in terms of me as a teaching professional and everyone just being so welcoming at my new course. But I did add about an hour 15 commute to my schedule one way. So that's taken a little bit of time, but I have, like I said, I have some people um, that will be doing interviews within the next couple of weeks. So I'm hoping to get a couple nailed down and then release them bi-weekly once again, as that schedule kind of normalizes. So I am moving closer to the golf course in about a month, which will give me a little extra free time. But yeah, I have a lot of different people in the industry. Uh, I'm looking forward to interview and I think that's one of the coolest parts about doing these interviews. If you read even just the headline, you'll see, wow, that person's a director of golf. They only teach this person. They do merchandising. They buy for Adidas. They're a first assistant. They are a college coach. There's so many different options in the industry. And that was something that I wish I knew even before I I went to college. I think you must be reading my mind because literally my next question was, if you were able to go back in time, as we all wish we could do every now and again, and speak to younger Kelly about many things, but we're going to just stay focused here on golf and your thinking around it. I'm sure it would look a little bit differently, but tell us how would it look? Because you've mentioned how, despite the fact that you were an accomplished junior golfer, it never crossed your mind to join the industry. So what what do you think you might say to Kelly if you had to do all over? Just going back to high school, I I played golf, but honestly, I never loved it. It was never my sport. I was a big soccer player. I played every other sport. And the only thing that actually pushed me over the edge to pursue golf and dedicate myself to playing college golf was I had two Mm -hmm. knee surgeries from soccer. So that pretty much ended my soccer career at age 14 and I had to pursue golf and I really had to change the mindset behind it because I was so competitive and so hard on myself that I would leave golf courses or tournaments in tears and just be like, why is this not easy? So I wish I could go back and tell myself to not take it so seriously, first of all. Enjoy the game. It's such a beautiful game, even when you don't play well. That's definitely one thing I would tell myself, but I would also go back going into college and say, get involved with golf as much as you can, which I did a bit. I did first tee clinics. I did Stanford golf clinics, but I would say 
join the PGM program as soon as you can and get a job at a golf course over the summer, like as soon as you can. Like I didn't get to do that until I was already halfway done with college. And I just wish that someone had told me how many career options there are in the golf industry and how successful you can be. And when I say successful, I don't mean, oh, you know, you can make money, you can do this because a lot of times when you're starting out, it's not the most lucrative job, as you probably know. But it is probably the most rewarding job I think I could have. I wish I could tell myself the fact that you can change lives with the game of golf and you need to pursue that. Like this is pretty much your calling and you're going to make a really big difference. So believe in yourself, have confidence and go after it as much as you can, because that's where I find myself now. I have no regrets about the journey so far, and I'm just so excited to be at a young age and know that this career and this golfers growing the game, growing the industry is pretty much what I was meant to do. That's just wonderful because what a blessing it is to find your calling. You said Mm -hmm. none of our paths are necessarily super linear, but like all of our lives, you had some bumps in the road. I'm sure it was, you have a sport that you're really passionate about and through injury and some things you have to bow out of there. That can be challenging, but... On the upside of things, it really led you to this moment in time where you're perfectly positioned for a time such as this and doing amazing things in a sport, in an industry that couldn't need that more. So we're just so thankful and so excited about what you're doing, all that you're doing. I can only imagine when we come back here in just a few years, a shorter time than that, all the more things that will have contributed because you're clearly an innovator. You're thinking in so many ways about how you can help grow the game and make it better for all women and all everyone, women, girls, men, because by do, making it better for women, we're going to make it better for everyone, right? That's exactly. one of the things that really fuels me is that, yes, this is going to make it better for women, but ultimately we're making it better for everyone an innovator, you you already thought outside the box. I wish I had a college project that cool. That's really awesome. So you're moving the needle forward. So I know you're settling in and growing in your new position, but let's just say down the road, let's just pick a big number. Five years from now, where do we see Kelly Hunt going? I know that's that can be a long time away. Directionally, we know where you are, you plan on going, but just is there anything that you can kind of put a finger on right now? Yeah, absolutely. As you know, I love where I am. Kind of going back to through those bumps in the road, I actually have a tattoo on my arm that has the date of the day that I was injured in soccer. And it's that reminder that Mm -hmm. things happen for a reason. Even (laughs) when they suck, (laughs) it's going to lead you in that direction. I mean, if that never happened, I wouldn't have pursued golf. I wouldn't have gone to school in Seattle. I wouldn't have met my fiance. I wouldn't have got this job. All these things that happened because of that event. And that's that reminder that wherever you are right now, you're meant to be here. And right now I'm really embracing where I am. Like I said, my current course has just been so welcoming from both the membership standpoint and the staff standpoint. The support, not just for me, but for women's golf has been absolutely incredible. And I'm thrilled. So honestly, if I see myself in five years and I'm still at this course doing what I'm doing right now, still doing golfers, I will be 100% happy. See, people like to move up and and do other things in their career. Um, So maybe being an assistant professional isn't my career destiny. I I do see myself as potentially 
either becoming that head professional at whether it's this course, whether it's another course, taking on that more leadership role, more involved with the golf operations standpoint, involved in a little bit of everything. I would love that. But despite when I started my career, teaching lessons kind of scared me. I wasn't always the most confident teacher. I definitely had to grow into that role and get more experience doing it, especially last year teaching hundreds of lessons with the boom of golf. I have really seen myself grow as a teacher. And if in five years from now, I am the director of instruction or a full-time teaching professional, I will also be thrilled with that because as we've talked about, I do a lot of clinics. I do a lot of teaching. I teach people of all ages. Absolutely love it. And just another random idea, I would love to be a coach too. Whether it's high school, whether it's a college team, even if it's in the Mm -hmm. off season of my career in golf, I would absolutely love to help a college team. Working with those juniors at Stanford who were very high level players going to college is something I'm very passionate about. And I also have a clinic dedicated to kids at my current course who want to play college golf or who want to have really good high school careers. So I I do love working with that little bit younger generation and and developing them as players and people. So I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I would love to be doing, but the common theme is that it involves golf and growing the game of golf. So in five years from now, when we check in, I do hope to be there. The world, the golf world, the entire world is your oyster. And that's the cool thing about it. But what we know is that you are so passionate and committed to the game of golf, to the industry of golf. And again, as a fellow female colleague here in this great industry of ours, I want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you do because each of us does a little bit, a little bit of what we're good at. We, as I like to say, soaring with our strengths, right? We can make for a better community. I did not coin that phrase. That's the Dr. Donald Clifton phrase, but I'm a big advocate of that because we all have things that we do very well, right? And if we just each kind of do a little bit of that, We're going to improve and grow this community and make it richer and friendlier and welcoming and just all around better. And so for that, I say thank you so much. This has been so fun to get to flip the script and talk to you about your story and your backstory and learning more about how you got here and where are you going? So I want to say thank you so much. This this was amazing, Colin. Yes. Thank you both. Thank you, Dr. Greta Anderson. Thank you, Colin. And it's so cool. You talk about us growing together is talking to people like you and, you know, whether it's Sarah Dixon, Mackenzie Mack, Monique Therese, all these different people that I've interviewed just in so many different facets of the industry. It's made me a better professional, a better teacher, a better coworker, everything. So that community, as you said, it's only going to make us better and then make the golf industry better. So this is amazing. So thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Did you enjoy that as much as I did, Colin? That was fun. I'm resisting the typical guy thing and that's actually <laughs> speaking, right? I'm listening. I'm enjoying this. That was amazing. See, you can teach an old dog new tricks to shut up for a change. The only thing I don't like is, is I think you're better at this than I am. And I've, I've, I've done a hundred of these. I, I don't know. I'm a little jealous. I mean, she I don't makes know. it easy. That yes. was amazing. We're just sitting here. That was so good. So that'll do it for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the engaging conversation between golfers founder Kelly Hunt and our guest host, Dr. Greta Anderson. I'll continue to invite guest hosts on the show as part of our promise to showcase diverse members from our golf innovation community. If you'd like to learn more about Kelly and the impactful work she's spearheading with GolfHers, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for Greta's extended conversation with Kelly is also on the episode show page. 
and please subscribe to the Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, we promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is creator of the Mr. Short Game YouTube channel, Matt Fisher. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship and community building in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye for now.